0: Welcome to Ryan Hello, film listeners. I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Welcome to my podcast where I dissect movies with fellow film enthusiasts and discuss why we love the medium as much as we do. We're back with our mini-series from stage to screen, where we study film adaptations of Broadway musicals and prove once and for all that film and theater can work together in harmony. My old friend Alex Kosick joins us today to discuss the highs and the lows of the Sondheim fairy tale classic, Into the Woods. Alright, Alex Kosick is here. When we started this series or got the first idea for it, I knew for a fact that I had to have you on because I mean our relationship basically formed because of theater um, and performing. Um, doing community theater here in Endicott in and um, binghamton, New York. so um, it was just it, it was very poetic to have you on uh, in this in this setting talking about into the woods um, and before we get into that, I just want to um, talk briefly about your experiences um, with performing in theater and um, how um, you know theater like shaped you. when did you first um, get into performing? Oh yeah. Um... Well,
1: like you said, we've been doing theater since we were little. And I started doing theater at EPAC, just like you did. Is that what yeah. you started?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I started at EPAC. I was nine years old. Um, and we did, oh gosh, we did like a stomp, like yes, have seen I, the movie I, stomp, where yeah. they like make the sounds with like various <laughs> like garbage cans and stuff. Mm-hmm. We did like a,
0: a production of that at EPAC. And that was my first introduction to the stage. And then, I'm going to be completely honest. I had no idea that I completely forgot that you had done that. And so oh, yeah. now it's like, wow, my mind is that completely That was the first blown. one. I was mm-hmm. dying to, I had to, my
1: mom knew I had to get on stage. My dad knew I had to get on stage. They were dying to get me on stage. And then that was the first production, which was like definitely not what I was expecting. But it is yeah. where I met Drew Sprague, my mm-hmm. best friend of 14 years. And mm-hmm. yeah, my whole life kind of changed with that little tiny stomp performance. Noise, it was called. <laughs> Noise, yes. No copywriting here. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. <laughs> how can how can he get even more obnoxious? Your parents said this kid is not doing enough trash can banging. We gotta get yeah. more trash can banging
0: in his life immediately. I didn't even get a trash can. They just gave me like a mug and a <laughs> spoon to bang. Like I was yeah. like, what
1: is this? Like the little <laughs> I <didn't> balloon <laughs> number where you'd squeak it and stuff. Yeah. Oh, it was oh it was a God. good time. It was exactly oh. what all of their parents wanted. Um their children to be doing on stage, making more yes. noise than they did at home. <laughs> yeah. But it was
0: fun. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So I did theater um, at EPAC until I was like 15, 16. Then I did a mix of the high school musicals and I did um, BU, the summer program. Mm-hmm. And
0: then I did some shows in college and I just did a show in New York City. So that was cool. Wow. Yeah. So it seems like you've been around or like been immersed in the theater world for like as long as you can remember. Yeah, it's the only world I know. (laughs) Which is great. (laughs) Yeah, well, well, what is it that do you feel that um, keeps you coming back? Like, was there ever a moment where you're like, oh, maybe theater isn't for me, but I still like performing in some capacity? Like, but what keeps you coming back to like um, theater itself, do you think?
1: Well, I think in terms of maybe the art form, I definitely click most with the music aspect of it. And it's always been about the music for me. I just love to sing and I love to emote and share myself through songs. So like definitely the music aspect of everything. But, um, you know, the theater community is something that is so special because it is such like a niche little interest that I feel like a lot of kids have. And it's something that really can bond you all together, regardless of what you have in common and it's just such an accepting community like i remember growing up being at epac and seeing all of the different kinds of people around me and really learning what it meant to be compassionate for others who aren't like you cuz that's those theater people are the crazies you know they're the fun ones <laughs> the ones who show you all the nooks and crannies of the world that you'd never known before that's why you keep going back the people are fun
0: oh yeah for sure and we we've talked about it on the series before about uh like theater is as an art form definitely like like it, it's it has the power of getting people attracted to it when they're very young, like us as real prime examples. And um, there's a lot of opportunities in like community theater, but it's like great life experience of just you know meeting other people from different walks of life and like coming together to uh, just to for this one. Production and do something that's meaningful, and you know, as much as maybe the productions weren't as you know good as others, you still have like the memories, and you still learn um, absolutely like a lot about who you are as um, as a performer. And were there shows that you flocked to like automatically when you were uh, young? What were some of the standouts for you and why?
1: Oh gosh, I mean, I liked. I mean, when you are little, you like it's like seeing something shiny in a pile. You like the big. Uh, sparkly musicals, the big budget spectacle ones. So of course I was in that little Wicked group of kids that loved Wicked. I wanted to go see anything on Broadway that had just like lots of color and light. So like Wonderland and Legally Blonde and all of these fun, upbeat, happy ones. But then of course, as you get older and you start to see more of the world, then you get to start getting into
0: the cool, darker parts of theater, which are the ones that are more special to me now, obviously. Mm So, like, what has how has that changed for you? What is the um, what are the dark special productions like? What is it that you go to theater now for, as opposed to when you used to? We've talked about that um, a little bit before. As like, Broadway has become so sensationalized now and commercialized mm-hmm. that it um, it almost like is a little diff- difficult at times to find that like really special piece of theater that is really like um, out there and trying to say something. Is yeah. Um, so, like, why? How has that changed for you?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm like I said before, I'm totally like totally grasped by music. So as soon as I hear a sound, something sonically in a musical that I haven't heard in another one, I already know I'm getting a brand new story because it's through a completely new lens. Like you can tell lots of different stories with the same styles of music, but once you start to like find a completely unique sound, that shows me right there that you have a completely different world than any of these other musicals. And then it's just kind of like, ooh, let's watch these um, situations that could occur in any musical occur in this world and see how this composer or this playwright decides to break it down. So like it wasn't until I got into my teens that I fell in love with light in the piazza because of its crazy score. And that's when I really started to dive into Sondheim and you and I have talked about how much I love Sunday in the park with George, how much I do love into the woods, how much um how I used to not understand and like company, but now I think you can just swim in that score for hours and find all of the nuances and stuff with that. So it's really fun to find these new musicals that are pushing the boundaries. Other ones like uh, Natasha Pierre and The Great Comet or um,
0: Hades Town, So mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. So cool. And then... I, I I love that you say that because like scores like that and shows that not only have something to say but do it in a very interesting from a, from a very interesting perspective. There's always more things to find the more times you go back to them. Mm-hmm. So like when I first listened to because I honestly, to be completely honest, I used to not like Sondheim even for, for very for a very long time until just a few years ago. Um, and when we listened to, when you and I listened to Sunny in the Park with George for the first time, I was already entranced by like just the songs itself. And I was like, oh, so this is like the purpose of this song is this. And then you were like, yes, but then there's this part and then there's this, and this is connected to this and this other song. And I was like, oh wow, there's actually so many moving components in it, uh, just musically that bring, um, the story out and the characters to life that I was, I was so, I was not, I was not prepared for that. And, uh, I have always, and I'm glad we're talking about Into the Woods because I feel like it's one of the best examples of just what Sondheim is actually able um, to do with lyrics and music. So why Absolutely. Why did you pick um, Into the Woods? What's your relationship with that show? Well, I mean, it's Sondheim. He's
1: my favorite. He can do no wrong in my eyes. I just think that he knows the human condition so well and can unravel it and unspool it in so many different ways. And, of course, Into the Woods is, like, is it the only Sondheim movie?
0: Is it the only one? Um, uh, No, there's Sweeney Todd.
1: There's Sweeney Todd, too. Yeah. Uh, I have yeah. a list here. <gasps> yeah, was, pull up the uh, list. So there's West Side Story, there's mm. Gypsy, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. I've never seen that
0: movie.
1: A was. Little Night Music, Sweeney Todd, Into the Woods, and then the new West Side Story. Okay, yeah, there, there are a lot. Here.
0: There are a few, yeah. I feel lot, like this. Yeah. I feel like this one um, sticks out more, maybe just because it's it's Disney. It's more recent. It was a really, um, it was a really big deal, and like he is kind of at the forefront of this show. Um, the score is the one thing that is connecting everything more so um, than just the story. And you could tell that like this this story almost didn't seem like it could work unless Sondheim penned it in a way. Absolutely, because of the, because of the energy and the characters and the way that everything's connected.
1: Yeah, and he's not afraid to like really like like who would think to give all of these fairy tale creatures such such human insides where it's for the first time you're watching it and you kind of forget that they're fairy tale creatures, you know, mm-hmm. They're characters, yeah. not even creatures. But he's just crazy to me. The fact that he can take any character and make you inside their head with the lyrics and just absolutely know what they're thinking and feel for them. You don't even have to like the character, but you'll feel for them. You know what they're feeling.
0: Mm-hmm. And we talked about this when we did the um, we did the West Side Story podcast. Um, talked about how he is able to. A lot of his songs are very much written and penned based on your speech patterns. A lot of them seem as though that's talking while singing, but not mm-hmm. necessarily. It's still very musically like it's very metered and um, written out like to the beats of how someone would say that and then put to music. I mean, especially in. You know, there's so many moments in Into the Woods, like just the, you know, um, you know, into the woods without delay, yeah. I have to like it's oh, it's absolutely. very like
1: and it's it's interesting too because when you look at West Side Story, he only did the lyrics for that. You know, that's a Bernstein score. So that's like yeah. boom, big, like very brassy, full sounding. And they're singing in West Side Story. Like Bernstein mm-hmm. wants fucking singers in his show. But yeah. what's interesting when you see Sondheim divert from that is he, he does, he captures the conversationalism of it, which is my favorite part of theater because now it's like you can, un, you can tap into that whole like confidant aspect of singing musical theater. You're not just singing like a love song. Oh, I'm in love, blah, blah, blah. You're literally talking to yourself in your head and somehow it just falls out into a melody and it just spools over this music and you kind of forget that they're singing the whole time.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and they they managed to in in the film they managed to work in in the show a lot of dialogue in between, but it it is it melds so well together like it's not jarring when they switch from singing right. to speaking like it actually um, just because of how you know Sondheim. You know, works with words, and it. it's fun to like. There's a there's a great documentary called Six by Sondheim on HBO that examines yes. six of his individual songs from various shows. Um, I don't remember if they did one from Into the Woods, but what was interesting was just watching him go through just how certain words sound similar to each other, mm-hmm. and then makes them like into the song. Like, um, I I I always loved in Into the Woods in that one scene when the baker's wife just um. Was with the prince, and she goes from like I settling for an or, and then an and, and now yeah. I understand. And it was like, oh wow, like that actually like says a lot about her character. Like that's really cool. Um, and I I love that he's able to manipulate and play with words as he does because I mean even like you know the what's the one where it's like the pinch and the ponchet and um like something like that. But like he. I, I just love how in touch with the with the English language he is. And yeah. he, like, just goes crazy. I was thinking the same thing. Um, I
1: just rewatched the movie this morning, and I was just sitting there amazed that he can come up with, like, rhymes. And he places the rhymes in weird little places that you wouldn't expect. But it matches the speech pattern. So all of a sudden, it sounds like they just said, like, a sentence. And it is crazy. It's like, how did he even think of, like, Oh God, there was one specific one. And I know the rhyme was life and wife. And I was like, oh well, easy rhyme. But then the sentence, it's like, how did you even think to connect the dots? He's just a master
0: connector. Let's call him mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Absolutely. The English language. Like, yeah. And all of his songs flow so well, like they don't they end when they need to and they start um Like right when they need to. There's no. There's not a lot of fat on songtime scores. I feel. Um, No. And I mean, there was. There were some songs cut out of the show from the movie that kind of makes sense. But they're still good songs, and they do like prove um, to show more about the character than we, um, than, than they than the show would have had they not been in there. Um, But um, before we delve into um, all the particulars of the movie um, and the story, uh, let's talk just about. Broadway adaptation or um, film adaptations of Broadway musicals in general. Obviously, this series is called "From Stage to Screen." That's what we're focusing on. Um, how different is your relationship to film compared to theater? There's obviously a difference to it, but do you feel like that there's a um, there's there's clearly a gap between the two mediums? They don't always um, match up as well as we think that they could and there is some distance between performers in the two worlds. Um, what do you feel like the biggest difference is between film and theater in, in your relationship to them? Oh gosh, well there's they're
1: so different. I mean like I think a lot of people just because it's there's actors, there's directors, there's so many consistencies between the two and there's so many so much overlap that I think the two get put together a lot. but in my mind, they are like could not be more opposite art forms mm-hmm. because of the way that you experience them. In theater, you're in the space. You can feel their energy. You're with other people. You're enjoying it. I mean, in a movie, you can also be enjoying it with other people in a movie theater. But in the theater, you're you're cramped. You're, it's a packed house. There's that energy, that excitement. And also, as the audience goer, you are with this piece of art for two hours. And that's all that you get with it. You get those two hours to sit and be totally enveloped in your senses in that show and you have to pick what you want to focus on in a movie the director is showing you exactly what you're supposed to be focusing on and it it is just like there's so much room for fine details in films where you can do so many like symbolic motifs with objects and and even the score underneath and with musicals you just kind of have to you have to direct their attention in ways that will help the narrative yes but also every single aspect on that stage has to be working perfectly because if becky in the third row doesn't raise her hand at the right time i'm gonna notice it and be like wow sloppy not cute during the dance (laughs) number you know so it's, it's it's just like it's totally different art forms i think theater has the ability to like just be super campy and ridiculous and over the top and i think films are held to a little bit more of like a Like a standard, like because Mm -hmm. you have so much specificity that you can get into it, you know. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: (laughs) No, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I've always, yeah, they're they are definitely different, but I am very much inspired of when of examples of when they can work together. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of great examples of of uh, movie musicals that work, and a lot that don't. are Are there any that in your mind that stick out of ones that you're like this actually? Feels, other than um, what you'll think of Into the Woods, Like, are there any that stick out to you? Like, oh, this actually works as an adaptation, or this did something different than the theatrical production that I enjoyed, or this like got this wrong, or are there yeah. any examples that stick out to you?
1: Yeah, and I don't know if it's because it's the best example, but I was thinking a lot about it during Into the Woods because I was comparing the two, and maybe that's because I hold this one on a bit of a pedestal, But even though I don't like the musical, but I think the movie, Les Mis, does a really good job of kind of crossing it because I think it was really smart that they decided to do the vocals live as they filmed mm-hmm. them because that, that there's something about that nonstop energy in a, a theater when you're watching somebody on stage, they're living in it. They're totally in it. And yes, people totally are living in it in films, but they're breaking. They have to stop, reset, do it again. And you have to like make sure that you're constantly in the same vein. Whereas with theater, you just get that one take and you go. And that's what I really liked about the lane is live singing. Cause it felt like, oh, the vocals are actually really mad. Like I can hear Anne Hathaway sounding ugly crying while she's singing, and I can see that she's ugly crying while she's singing. Yeah, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I think that is a really, really well done uh, movie. It's not my favorite because I don't like, like love is But what is there another one? Hot take. <laughs> <gasps> Hairspray was a great one for our generation. Yes, I. Oh love my the god, Hairspray movie. that. That was a generation definer for sure. We were losing our Mm -hmm. minds when that was coming out, right? Yeah. Even High School Mm -hmm. Musical, you know? Like those were, I mean, Hairspray was a stage show first, yes, but I think that was a great adaptation. But High School Musical was made for the screen. And that Mm -hmm. was like, that was pretty groundbreaking for all of us because I think that inspired so many kids to do theater. It made me want to do
0: it hmm No, yeah, absolutely. And that, I mean, High School Musical came out when I was starting to do more yeah. theater. So that was actually like, oh, this is something that is more celebrated than I expected. And the Hairspray movie was like my favorite because I actually think that's one of the few uh, examples of that, that the movie is actually better than the stage production. And I love Hairspray the show, don't get me wrong, but that movie is just done with so much energy and like light that I just love it. Like it's so mm-hmm. happy and bright and gets the message across really really well um but yeah no the lame is live singing is uh is a really good that was a very crucial choice that they had to make and, and it's always difficult when adapting um you know theater to film because of like you said it's so immersive theater and they're mm-hmm. um like there are no barriers necessarily. You're you're just there with them at all times, especially if the production in and of itself is like an immersive kind of feel to it, like around or or what have you. Um, but in film, you know, there's the what you see is the one. That's the one product. Like theater has right. so many other versions that um, that can come out uh, every single night. Um, but I love how. I I always found it interesting how a director or, you know, filmmakers in general handled characters singing on screen because, you know, we're not really used to um, seeing that in terms as film, film goers where it's a little harder to sell that characters are going to be singing on, on stage or on screen given the specific circumstances.
1: Totally. And that one thing that I learned while I was in London and we were doing um, a theater class is I, and she like was dying to get us to just say this one sentence, the first class, what does theater do? What does it do? Like there's an action that you in the theater have to do in order to get on board. And it's that suspension of disbelief. Like, you know, it's not real on a stage because you can see it happening in front of you. And there's something about film where there's, you you know, there's no set, like you don't see the cameraman there. You're just like, you just kind of get sucked in and it's a very realistic art form because they can just exactly like capture something with their camera exactly the way it was in the real world. That's that. So I think Mm -hmm. with film, there's a little bit more of a weight to reality if that's the vein you're going down, of course. But when you sit in a theater, you know it's not real the second you sit down in there,
0: you know? And like film has the, uh, we talked about this when we did Fiddler on the Roof of how the way that they they shot that movie, they are living in the scenery, like around there. And I mean, like into the woods, like the production design is amazing and it was nominated for an Academy Award. And you feel like you are like, oh, okay, totally. this feels like woods that you would see in like a fairy tale book. And same and with I the, love that.
1: And same with Mis. Like they built fucking town. They built yeah. Paris for you. <laughs> You're literally looking at that barricade. Holy shit, there's a war. They're in France right now. It's amazing. It's amazing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But on stage, you just see a bunch of door frames in one big thing that just slid on stage
0: real quick, you know? I want to know um, just before we get in uh, to all of this, one question that we love to answer is how does uh, this movie, or in this case, like this show, um, Into the Woods, what is it? what, what do you think we can learn about ourselves as audience goers um, from Into the Woods? Not necessarily like the the message itself, but what do you feel that that show represents? Because I feel like it is a great testament to how we love to have our imaginations kind of run wild mm-hmm. and capturing Absolutely. the feel of like when you were told a Ben Titan story when you were younger and that kind of revisiting it, you're like, oh, there's actually something deeper in the message and um, in the theme thats that wasn't necessarily... Um, impactful when I was a kid, but then you grow up and you realize, oh wait, there was actually something more human going on there. And that's kind of amazing. Like what what do you think?
1: Well, I think, and this is gonna this will totally come up eventually and because it's a big pet peeve that I think I have with the film. But Into the Woods is a fairy tale for adults. It is not for Mm -hmm. children. It is meant to like that's why it's in two acts and why after the first one you think it should be done, but it's not. Like You have to sit there and watch these people make these decisions and you know how they get their happy endings, but you have to also see what they are willing to do to get that happy ending and the cost that comes with it because you can do whatever you want to get happy. And if all you show is you getting happy at the end, great, but you don't know about all the shit that comes afterwards or the shit that came along the way to get there,
0: you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And that's a big theme of this movie is like the consequences of the happy yes, ever after. Which exactly. Is a, it's
1: all about adulthood and navigating it. And it's why it's so cool that at the end of it, it's you see the parallel between the baker and Cinderella and Jack and Little Red, like the kids and the adults coming together and understanding that you, we're all in this together. It's not an adult's world and a kid's world. Like You'll have to come into it to children someday. It's not fun.
0: Right. <laughs> With that, let's get into the critical breakdown. Let's get into the nitty and the gritty of this of this mm. movie. I got a lot to say. Me um, too. Let's. Well, let's first start. You when you messaged me this morning about when you were watching this, the first thing you said is, "God, I love this music so much," and I couldn't agree more. And just a. a not only with the film and the the show itself, like the the music is just dynamite. Like we've already talked about it. each song is just like, it sucks you in because of how different it is. Like there's not many scores like this and songs that you can necessarily compare to in terms of melody and, um, uh, you know, musical technique, but they hit the, all the, the checklist, the, the checklist of, what a musical should do in its first act, like the I Wish song. Like The opening is such a banger. It's so mm-hmm. good. Like I, I love it in how all of the characters start to come out like all at once. And you understand what they have to do and where they're supposed to be going in 10 minutes.
1: Oh God, the score is so good. And it's not everybody's cup of tea, which I totally appreciate. Um, mm-hmm. Last summer, I worked at the Hangar Theater and they did Into the Woods. And of course, I love the show. So I was happy to be... In the box office every night, listening to the show as it went along and getting people's feedback. And usually, half of it is, This is the best score that I've ever heard in my life. Or other people are like, God, it's so fucking repetitive. (laughs) Which, like, I can totally understand why people would get annoyed with that. But it just, it's, there's something about the way that he can repeat melodies over and over again. And, like, like we said, you can always find something new in it. And it's the fact that if you keep the same music going and going with new words on top, you find the new layers and the meanings within the words because the music's already going to affect your perception of what the tone of what they're saying is kind of. So mm-hmm. I think that like sonically and score wise, this is just such a good show because he taps into the heartfelt moments, but he also totally makes it playful and childlike
0: and fairy tale like, even though we you know it's an adult fairy tale right and it's great setup because it starts of just it is very upbeat and um almost has some comedic elements in there oh, especially yeah. with, like the with the narrator character and how he kind of interjects into the music sometimes you know where it's like I wish to go to the festival the girl's father had died like that yeah. always <laughs> I thought was hysterical um and but it, it's almost... Deceit or deceptive in a way because of the later events in the second act, because of um, it the uh, how real it becomes. You're like, oh, people are dying in, the- right. <laughs> in this, And you show can the- hear the
1: change, you can totally feel the change, and like you can feel it in the movie too. Which I mean, it's a musical first, this was written to be on the stage, so like the pacing of the mm-hmm. movie itself, I think, is odd just because it is supposed to be on the stage and supposed to have that two act structure and it still works better, but you can feel the shift the second it happens there's no mm-hmm. more ba- dun, 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 dun. it just immediately the whole second half is dark you've got last midnight you've got the blame it's just like n- none of it is fun it's all gross he gets really into his atonal son timing aspects there <laughs> and he just does a really good job showing like Yes, it's all fun and games until someone gets hurt, kind of thing, you know.
0: And and it's and it's not stark in that it's uh, the emotions are like jarring. It's not like oh happy and then completely dark, and you're like whoa, right. whoa, what happened? It it's it works as like it's almost a reality check. And the the first act is like, um, well, I, I should just say I think the first act uh, because I know it more as a stage production. This was my first mm-hmm. time seeing the film, and so I had seen it. Uh, at a uh, a local production uh, here in right. Binghamton. and uh, they did it in an, in an immersive way, which was really cool. The firehouse is um, that where they really did it? The yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the first act is perfect. It's perfect musical theater. I don't really think there's anything that you can add to it story wise or take away to make it any better. Um, and I've always had issues with the with the second the second act. They were a little. Um, I, I've taken them back since watching the film because I kind of understand what they're um, going mm-hmm. for a little bit better. Um, but that first act is just like, it's so it's tight. tight. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just so an hour tight. and a half, just an hour and a half of them be like, okay, I got to get this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. And then we go here, and then we go here, and then we go here. And it's fast and it's awesome. Like, I love it. Absolutely. And I think that's the whole point,
1: too, is because like it is, it's that crisp fairy tale. You're like, ooh, yes, this is fun. But I'm, bum, bum. We're on the journey. Mm-hmm. You know, it only really gets dark in the first half. With um the wolf. And it's even then it's only for just a it's a moment. It's a moment. Just like yeah. hello little girl. And then it's <laughs> da, da, mm-hmm. da, da, da da like he just he flirts with the danger in the first half. And but the first half is the children's story, which is why if you ever see a production of Into the Woods Jr., they only do the first half. Mm-hmm. I think, I'm pretty sure, because epec did it, I think at one as, point. And I As far as helped. I know
0: yeah, as far as I know, a lot of the second half is is cut out. But um, I mean, we're we're being very vague at this point. We should just say that uh, Into the Woods is about um, various um, fairy tale um, icons that we know and love, like Jack and the Beanstalk, Little Red Riding Hood, um, all and the Big Bad Wolf, all converging together um, in uh, these woods in uh, kind of one night of just complete and total change. There's the baker and his wife who have to find. Um, uh Cinderella slipper, uh, Rapunzel's hair, Red Riding Hood's cape, and um, a cow from Jack and the Beanstalk, who's the color of white. If they want to reverse a curse that has been put on their house by a witch, uh, to have a child, and that's like the basic like premise of the overall um, of the overall story. Like that's just how it gets into um, the first act. And I think what's commendable about this movie. Um, at least one of the biggest things I can say is they got the casting um, I would say at least like 90% right like I think everyone exactly the casting is spot on in this movie pretty much I'd say like there are things here and there that could
1: be altered whatever but the casting is pretty damn good for the movie
0: yeah like I and I mean you did you end up watching the the Broadway um, version before this no I've (laughs) seen that so many times I don't have to watch that again (laughs) I know I know that went up and down (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I've seen the yeah, the Bernadette Peters like VHS like taping is, is amazing. Uh, and uh, that's kind of the challenge of adapting this musical is that those performances are so iconic at this point, like, are so attached to the sound of the show, with like, how bright Jack's voice is, and mm-hmm. how just completely like comical but also very deeply hurt Bernadette Peters is. Um, yes. as the witch, she's incredible. So any actor in that sense is going to have issues kind of coming to that because of how iconic but i mean Meryl Streep, Emily Blunt, James Corden, uh i can't remember the actress who plays Red Riding Hood but Lilla all Crawford. of them yes, Lilla Crawford, she all all four of them did an act like really good job like um adapting their characters because it's it's you know some things get lost like in terms of like film acting is a little bit more subdued than it could be and Meryl Streep could have gone completely over the top mm-hmm. and just you know, just crazy as Meryl can go, but she's actually like instantly very, um, like a very interesting character. And you're like, Oh, I want to know like what, what exactly is she doing and where is she coming from? Yes.
1: And, you know, and oddly enough, Meryl Streep was one of the few casting choices. Like after seeing it, I still think she can do no wrong. I love her, but I wonder, it's just, it's so different than what mm-hmm. bernadette does and i'm like you i don't even want to compare the two because they're completely different takes on it but there's something about narrow's portrayal that fits the film version but it doesn't fit the witch for me for some reason i don't know what it is and i think it's the mm-hmm. whole like the whole stickiness of the fact that this isn't a real fairy tale like we're just playing along and we're going in because of the stage it's so farcical Bernadette literally cannot be taking herself any less seriously on that stage (laughs) as the villain, you know, but when you translate it to film, like we have, that has to be a believable bad guy or bad girl, whatever. And she just like, I don't know. It's, it just feels very creature. I don't know. It's very creature. Like it's just a totally Mm -hmm. different take. And it, I love it. I love I mean, she shines in the moments when she's with her daughter, Rapunzel, because that's where mm-hmm. you see the humanity in the character. And especially when she gets beautiful at the end, I'm like, there we go. That's the stickiness, the woman who doesn't give a shit. But there's something about hers, the creepy witch, where I'm like, it's a little too like animal-y or like bestial.
0: Whereas mm-hmm.
1: Bernadette is just like a grouchy old woman who's like, of course you have no bread. Yeah.
0: <laughs> she like channels that like Brooklyn Jew. <laughs> yeah what are you doing like yeah um well i think a lot of that has to do with 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 two things one the way that they did the ending which is one of my bigger issues with um with the movie i i remember the we're jumping ahead quite a bit but like it's important to talk about meryl's performance but the way that they do the ending of the film because i remember the ending of the of the the, the, the theatrical production being so impactful like the way they did it in this local production i saw because it was so immersive they have the witch singing her final song at the end like almost as a solo and then yeah. the other players like surround her in the center just listening to her and that was like super impactful for me because i was like oh she's actually like the narrator more so than the actual narrator was absolutely and uh is really hammering home like the defeat that she feels almost and it was very Mm -hmm. humanizing and i and i love that and also the the idea that like not it's not going to have the happiest of endings and she cemented that and that you're just focusing on every word that she's saying whereas in the film we end on james corden telling the story of you know his his wife to his um to his child while we zoom out and just, we see the woods and everyone is singing in unison. Right. And, and, and voiceover, it's like starting it just starting
1: over again, kind of
0: thing. Yeah. And it just, and it, it, it felt very Disney to me, <laughs> very abrupt. In yeah. It. Well, I think one thing that they, sh- they and I, I love the fact that you said that the witch
1: is kind of like the narrator because the witch is the focal point of the musical for a reason is that like, she's the immortal one. She's the only one there. That's not like totally human which is why she sings I'm not good I'm not bad I'm I'm just right I'm the witch you're the world like she know like we you're watching all these people go after what they want and she wants something too but she's just going to go get it and it doesn't matter as long as she gets what she wants she's done and she's like kill the kid I don't care you know it's not it's not as much of a dilemma for her because she doesn't have that morality whereas you watch all of these other human characters absolutely tearing themselves apart to get what they want mm-hmm. And and for her, it doesn't matter, and that's why I think it's such an interesting point to have her come back at the end and sing. Children will listen. It's like I like you see her own relationship with a child and what she would do with the child, protect it from the world, like really, but also make sure it knows what's going on in the world. And so it's mm-hmm. telling that she would sing it at the end to everyone, being like, "Careful of the things you say, children will listen." And the movie just kind of they killed her. She doesn't die. Yeah. Like, she just kind of sinks into that tar pit. You're like, did she die? I don't know. (laughs) And then he tells the story to the kids, and it's a cute ending, but it's not the same as everybody standing on that stage with the witch being like, careful the things you say, children will listen. Like, there's a reason that these stories were created to give these lessons, but you're not telling them about the repercussions that come along with it. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. And that is the point of the show. It is almost a revisionist history on all of the fairy tales that we were told his kids um and you know and it is in a, it's a cautionary tale in that mm-hmm. which you don't necessarily expect from this genre which is the brilliant thing about the show and and then they had to Disneyify it and just kind of end oh. with the hap with the happier ending and i understand that this what's and this is kind of one of the flaws of just adapting it the way that they did is because like we said it's a fairy tale for adults and this movie was definitely marketed more so towards um exactly. more so towards children and I a younger audience. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I that was like and that's
1: where I was going to get I have it like circled on top of my little notes. Why did Disney make this movie? Like I understand <laughs> the budget value and like it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous to watch. Like if that's yeah. what we needed because of Disney like fine so be it but it's not a children's movie. I don't want my kids watching this movie and I want the real full story. Like I would show my kids this at what 12, 13 and be like, "Yeah, like shit's hard. It's a horrible, mm-hmm. horrible world." You can't tell the story properly without Rapunzel dying, I don't think. You don't they didn't show the fact that Rapunzel has kids and like has to learn about how bad the world is because of how overprotected she was. You don't get to see the fact that Um, the baker's wife totally cheats on the baker totally Mm -hmm. like full on they have sex her and the prince um they like they just leave out a lot of like the really dark gruesome stuff and i'm like that is the heart and soul of the piece because it is a cautionary tale like there's a reason that the wolf preys on the little girl it's all about like men taking advantage of women and like Jack going up the beanstalk and stealing and not understanding like the fact that he can afford things and why people have so much stuff that whole like economic disparity that we have. It's so, so cautionary tale and we need this for kids. Yes, but this is not a kid's story. This is for adults by adults to help just show like you have to be careful with what you tell kids.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You can and-
1: fuck them up. It's all about parental trauma. honestly,
0: yeah, and the that is that's why I feel that the most interesting aspect of the of the show itself is the baker and the baker's wife because they are wanting to be parents and that's their biggest you know goal in life is to. And be... And at the end, he doesn't even want him. Yeah, <laughs> literally he doesn't. Uh,
1: he's mm-hmm. so scared of that he's going to ruin this kid's life now that he's on his own. But that's the you know that's the point. We just have to be careful what we tell our kids. You can't. Overwhelm them, but you also have to just show them this is the world we live in. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not cute, but we're all doing it together. We're all in it together. No one's alone.
0: Right? Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to talk about a few of a few more of the other performances um, Mm -hmm. because I, like I said. I think they did a great job. I've always been a, a big fan of Emily Blunt. She's one of the best actresses I think that is working today. She's so talented. And so I, I I loved her voice and she did something that was very interesting that I was not expecting her to do with the character. She really got the depravity of the baker's wife and how like just desperate they were to get yes. these ingredients and um like how she talks to Cinderella um is like during um He's a Very Nice Prince and then mm-hmm. uh, like hits royalty and like the, like just how she embodies it. Like it's a less comical portrayal. Like, I don't want to say that the the character itself is um, overtly comical, um, but she took it a little bit more serious route that I actually enjoyed that worked. Yeah. And I
1: think um, I, I, Emily Blunt had a huge, like huge shoes to step into because Joanna Gleason's performance of the Baker wife is perfection there's not Mm -hmm. she does not miss a beat she is on it and the character is funny not because it's written funny but because it is so human and so relatable like just the constant like the fact that all of a sudden oh no not our beans you can't give away (laughs) our beans like trying to make them seem so important when they're not it's that human improvisation and emily blunt you said it so well she plays into just the desperation of the character and you can see it in her eyes and the character and you can. it it is a really good performance and she did a really good job translating it to film because it's so pedestrian when you watch her and Joanna on stage is just so sharp. She has all of her choices out like that. So it was Emily Blunt lived up to it. Is that your favorite performance in the movie?
0: I would say so yeah. I think it's just another part of it. It just confirms how she continues to be one of the great actresses that we have today. And also just the idea of her, like how how wide her range is as mm-hmm. an actress because she has so many different movies. Like right. she can I mean, like, be mean, like... Her big one is Devil Wears Prada. Come mm-hmm. on. Like, like
1: that is so different from The Baker's Wife already.
0: Right. And even being in something like Looper, which is a science fiction, like little action movie that's... Mm-hmm. And then... Go to into the woods and then do like Sicario, which is like a really uh, deep, dark um, drug movie. Yeah, she is just one of the best, and I and yeah, (laughs) she's (laughs) yummy. She gives you so
1: much to work with. It's good. She's good to watch. She's juicy. She's got a lot going on in that head. Even like a Quiet Place. Come on, Mm -hmm. like she's just she is she's a great actress because she totally can step into that mindset of just what a human being is like. So pedestrian.
0: Yeah, and so she is definitely uh, my favorite performance. But was, what was also difficult for them to have to nail is it's the baker and the baker's wife are like, they thrive off of the chemistry they have together. They have to click the two actors. Um, so I've never been the biggest fan of James Corden, like really in any capacity. But here, Ooh. he sounded great. And he actually like gave some really human emotion. And I was, I mean, he kind of does the same thing throughout the show, but he was convincing. I was like, I totally get that you and Emily Blunt are in love and want to start a family and are doing the things that you are doing because of very specific reasons. I was on board and they sounded great together too, especially during You've Changed, which is a great song. Um, And the way that they uh, start to just like roll around on the mm-hmm. on the ground, and it's very clear that they are um they are a married couple, and I bought it, so I thought that, that was a a great choice on their part. Absolutely, and I this
1: might be a hot opinion because I know she's very polarizing, but my hands down favorite performance in this movie is Anna Kendrick as Cinderella. Really? And, yes, and I because when I see the musical, I don't really give a shit about Cinderella. Like I watched, mm-hmm. Ed, I'm like, okay, she has to have a pretty voice and that's about it. And there's something about her steps on the palace. Like you can see every single choice that she's making. Every single line in her head is thought out as she's singing it. And you, I just like feel like that song, you could watch it and just live in that moment. And I also think that is a brilliant directorial choice to have it freeze time and slowly stop and then have her make the decision. And then of course story out but i i mean her voice is very polarizing people don't love her voice it does not bother me at all
0: i think here's my take she was the <laughs> one, she was the one performance to me where i was like i'm not so sure about this that here's my thinking though um i have always loved all of cinderella's stuff in in the musical i i love her songs i love i, I love on the steps of a palace because you get that inner conflict mm-hmm. and she's thinking, oh, do I go back home and stay safe, or do I actually, like, stay with this guy and be royalty? That's a great dilemma. Like, that's very interesting. Um, and I've always enjoyed that. And the way that the musical handles that is good. And also the choice to freeze time. I wasn't mm-hmm. expecting them to do that. Um, I And I've always liked Anna Kendrick's voice. I've always thought she's a great singer. She just felt out of place to me at some points. Everyone else's really? voice feels... Yeah, I don't know. It just... Everyone else's voice, I felt, like, Really fit the part. Didn't sound as poppy necessarily, but I think it's just because I've always envisioned or like just heard her voice as more poppy than anything else. Sure, like Pitch Perfect or Last Five Years. um, I mean, which is a very different character, right? But I've just always heard it, like heard her voice as such. So hearing her do Sondheim was a little different. Maybe that would change with rewatch, but that she was the one for me where I was just like. I don't really know. It wasn't it wasn't really doing it for me. Hmm, that's that's totally
1: fair. And I think I think it's also it's I mean, it's a huge jump. That is not a Cinderella that you would ever see on a stage, really. Mm-mm. It's very I mean, cause Cinderella's legit. I mean, I would actually love to see Jesse Mueller's performance when they did it in the park a while ago, because I bet yeah. that would be like a nice bridged middle between like the legit Cinderella we know from the Broadway one and also the very, as you say, poppy Anna Kendrick. I mean, her voice is inherently poppy. That's I, literally right. her character name in um, <laughs> Trolls. But, <laughs> but like, I don't. There's something about. I just think her acting it brings such a new. Le- and I'm. I also have the unpopular opinion. I love her in last five years, which a lot of people don't. Because I. Just, oh, I, I think she's awesome I, in that. I, I just think her acting is so relatable, and I just know exactly what she's going through, and it feels like she's absolutely living in it. It's like like the way she reacts to weird things happening and just like not understanding why this woman needs her shoe. She's literally like, <laughs> yeah. that makes no sense. That makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas other women are women, like, that doesn't make sense. What? It's mm-hmm. like She's just like, what are you doing? Like mm-hmm. I don't know. I just love, I just love, I don't know. I just love the portrayal that she brought. And I think it's such a, a nice take to see someone young play a character that, is not sure whether she should be falling in love with someone based off of who she really is in the horrible life that she has or if she mm-hmm. should be falling for someone under false pretenses who doesn't actually know who she is as a real person but who likes the color that she's presenting.
0: That's a that's a really good explanation. I think my... And I've said this before with like a couple performances. I think if she... If this movie was made like... Right after she did like Up in the Air or something, like right after her big break, mm-hmm. my perception of her performance in it probably would have been different. It would have probably been the first time I heard her voice, and I would have probably just adjusted my perception of her early on had she done this earlier. Not to so say it's that, not even
1: necessarily her performance; it's more of just that's Anna Kendrick. It's kind of mm-hmm. that. It's kind of that you can't suspend the disbelief that that's
0: a little bit Cinderella. because... Yeah, in this world, and she brings a more modernist um, mm-hmm. or kind of position on it. Like her, like I just think like okay, this is someone from 2014 playing Cinderella, and and again, she, and I don't want to say she's necessarily bad because she's not. She still sounds nice. It's just that. She's, she just sticks out to me, and also I should mention she's. I I said she's the one that stuck out to me. She's not to me the worst performance in the movie is uh, Johnny Depp as the wolf. I, I just I, don't, <laughs> I can't do it. it I, I it, can't it, it,
1: that whole and honestly like that that whole scene is like one of the ones that is just like oh, it doesn't translate to movie. It just does not translate to film because it's like, I love, I love the concept of the wolf being like a wolf, like a wolf who hounds like sexual predator wolf. And I think it's so brilliant in the telling Mm -hmm. in the musical, but like you can't, it's like the costume looks ridiculous. He just, Mm -hmm. you're you're like, this is Johnny Depp. It's just very melodramatic. And then what is the visuals of them pulling her out of the stomach or like her going down the throat? It's so weird. And like, so out of place for the rest of the movie because the rest of the movie feels very realistic in its fairy tale portrayal, you know. And this is the one moment you're like, "What?" <laughs> I just, I did not watch this movie, but I just pulled up a picture of Johnny depp <laughs> Wolf, and it looks like he woke up in the morning, like pulled his whiskers out of a drawer, right? Put a little glue on he, on, the, on his upper <laughs> lip, placed them on. Like it doesn't look like like is that is all this supposed to be? Is it supposed to be ne- like is he is he supposed to have ears? Yeah, like, well, the like, funny are those his real ears or are those hat his <laughs> ears? <They're>, I don't <laughs> like, know. What, that's what's the bad the, the, the part about it that's so funny is in the stage adaptation, the wolf is played by the prince. So you get to see that like duality oh. that the prince is also the wolf. I mean, they're not actually the same <clears> character, <throat> but they're played by the same person. And it's so funny and grotesque because in the original, the costumes are very hypersexualized. Like, all of the men have like, the fly that you would have back then where you'd unbutton both and it would just be, like, a hole in your pants. Like, it's huge on all the men. So it looks like they have big junk. And, like, the wolf (laughs) is no exception. And he just has, like, these weird, creepy lips. And it's this really grotesque wolf costume. And you're like, ha-ha, fun. Theater, there's a wolf on stage. But in the movie, like, I'm almost wondering if, like, they should have just, like... I don't know. It just doesn't really translate for me.
0: Yeah, and I've always... I've always thought that scene is extremely interesting, especially in the um, in the musical, just Mm -hmm. because again, and it plays with um, um, another issue with the movie that I'll delve into in a second. That (laughs) you have um, you can see him uh, tracking Little Red before the song starts, Mm -hmm. like the way that they stage it. It's like okay, so the wolf's going to be over there when. Red right. comes on stage first, even before you hear like that. the mel- yeah. So you see him watching her, and she's totally that- unaware for half the song. I totally forgot, mm-hmm. and in the yeah. movie she's and, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was great for me because he was the, where I was sitting. He was right behind me, so oh, it was cool. like, like he was just right there. So it was like, oh shit, I didn't realize he was like there, and uh, it makes it it gives it, uh, it it makes it just more creepy. Uh, here though, it's it's just weird. It's not. I mean. I don't know how to describe it because I get that Johnny Depp was supposed to be creepy in that. Mm -hmm. But it's weird that it's just like, that's just Johnny Depp and he's trying to talk to a little girl. Like it just (laughs) felt weird and not the same weird that they were necessarily going for. I don't really know how to describe it or if that makes sense. But and And also what you said about the later on when they show how... Red and her grandmother were eaten, and then she falls down this like esophagus purple tube, or this psychedelic light up weird mm -hmm. tube. And then James Corden like opens through this slit in her stomach.
1: Like, Like, that's the whole funny aspect. The the best part of the the stage part is when he literally goes and stabs the knife in, and all of a sudden, two fully grown women pop out (laughs) of. (laughs) <laughs> this this wolf and it's just you so kind of fun to make me want to watch this movie oh it's it's so good like like it's just so ridiculous and when it's told on stage and there's the realism of this movie that they really went with and it works for almost all of it but it leaves out those little tiny areas where it's not like that is supposed to be so farcical and so ridiculous mm-hmm. And also like the fact that both the children, Jack and Little Red are played by fully grown adults in the musical and they are supposed to be because they're adult themes. like, you know, like you're supposed to see yourself in them. It's not supposed to be like watching little kids be preyed upon because it's not about that. It's about the lessons you learn from it and you kind of lose that when you watch little kids live it. But, of course, I like it that in the film that they use little kids because it becomes more realistic, and that's the vein that they chose. Yeah. Also, and the, I looked up the pants, and I, I don't like the pants. From the Broadway audience? <laughs> <laughs> don't like it. <laughs> yeah, the Broadway one. <laughs> yeah, they're creepy, right? Mm-hmm. Very disturbing. It's very dis- yeah. He's very disturbing, and she's creeped out. Mm-hmm. Like like you said, yeah. I totally forgot. She's totally unaware that he's there half the time in the show, and she, like once he she is aware, she's like, oh, dear. How uneasy mm-hmm. I feel. And like super yeah. creeped out. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But the yeah. same reaction. <laughs> the one scene that they nailed in the movie that is just not, it doesn't even hold a candle in the stage one, is agony. That is how you make those men look absolutely ridiculous. And it mm-hmm. is hot. It's so funny.
0: <laughs> Chris Pine yeah, that's, is
1: so good in this movie. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, he that's one of my favorite songs in the show. I mean, that's one of the more iconic ones, uh, agony because of you. It sets it up as like, okay, they're actually lamenting about their love for mm-hmm. these, these women. But then you're like, wait, these guys are, idiots. They're like just ridiculous. And the idea, it's great visual comedy too that works in the because in the theater, it's like, okay, they're just standing next to each other and right. saying about like, oh, you know nothing of madness to your climbing her hair and ah, ah, ah. and it's like, oh, okay, that's, that's super funny that they're kind of just making fun of the people that they're saying that they love. But here, it's there's something so ridiculous and absurd about two men singing that whilst just rolling around in a like a babbling brook somewhere in the (laughs) woods they're just like what is happening i'm i love it it's so funny yeah
1: and i think part of the reason it's so successful in the film is attributed to the reason that it's just so well written like like just sondheim and lapine they're their their lyrics and their music together and just the whole ridiculousness of the princes in general in the musical like they translated so well to screen because of the ridiculousness that you can get with the with the gorgeous wide shots of the rainfall of the rain waterfall and of just like (laughs) kicking through it and just being so full of themselves. And that's, what's so brilliant about the princess is they're singing a love song about themselves. They're in love with themselves. They're so in love with the idea of going after these women that it causes them agony. And the devastating part is that they cut the second, they cut the reprise from the movie. And that is so important that you watch both of the men sing about how upset that they are that they can't get this woman even though they're already married to someone else and it's still not even the baker's wife Cinderella's mm-hmm. princess with three women in the time, in the show <laughs> like that that's telling and in the show he in the movie he just kisses the baker's wife
0: like come mm-hmm. on come yeah. on he's going after way more than that yeah, yeah for sure and and there are i mean we should just get into the differences between the um between the stage and the uh, film adaptation the there obviously were some songs that were cut, and mm-hmm. I said in the beginning that some of them make sense. the The main one that I feel that makes a lot of sense um, that they cut was, um, what's the? It's the song that Jack sings to his cow, like "Goodbye, Milky oh, White." Or some, I know which, i I missed i I missed that, but it's good to save time, not necessary. Yeah, and but some of the other ones, like like Agnes Reprise and Ever After. Like one of the Uh, best songs in the uh, show and they don't have that there to end the first act. Are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. Just because, because of how literally it brings it all together and does set up this idea of, Oh, like we are running out of time and Mm -hmm. we have to go. Like the change is already implemented and you think, okay, where can they go after this? And, I get that again they cut for time they have the melody in the background of this of the score but that is such a crucial scene the end it of is. act 1 if you're going to keep a song keep the act 1 finale like nice. I feel like that's where it all comes together but they just cut to this parade when Cinderella is getting married and it's You just, I just feel like you lose some of that. Um, And that's another thing with Disney. You
1: have to cut it down to two hours if it's Disney, because you can't have mm -hmm. a three hour long Disney movie. But like, you need the full story. Like, people can whine and complain about how long Into the Woods is. I don't give a shit. You need to live through all of it. It has to be uncomfortable. The second act has to be uncomfortable. You have to be totally cringy in the theater because that's life. That's what you're
0: supposed to sit with, you know? Right. And, and, No, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um, What's cool about some of the scenes, especially in Act One and Ever After, is they have those little moments of each character coming on and divulging what they have learned to the audience. So, like when Jack is like, you know, however big a Bean can start, can be the start of a great adventure, and every single (laughs) person kind of does something like that. Yeah, that works. That works better in theater, but it you understand that all of these. Characters. The reason that it's cool that it's just in this one location in the woods is because it's like this is the area of like great change in everyone's mm-hmm. life, and everyone's going to learn something. And when they do that through, especially I think it's like first midnight or something, which is also taken out of uh, the movie, uh, and you see their progression like through that. Like okay, they're actually taking something away from these experiences, right. and I love seeing that about certain characters. Like that's why. That's why, like "Giants in the Sky" and um, uh, "I Know Things Now" are two really great songs, is because they're these characters that are just like, "Oh, this is an ex- I'm having an experience that is actually changing me, and I'm going to be completely different going forward." Especially "I Know Things Now," because I mean, I mean, that's the whole point mm-hmm. of the song. But the way that they do them in the movie, it, it's so awkward. Because what's great about yeah. those about doing it on stage is that. They're soliloquies. They they just they're by themselves. Exactly they're just by themselves. They're working through the thought process, and they're like, and Red's like, wait, you know, I was told that I should just go straight to the house, but you know, this wolf seems so nice, but I was naive to do so, and now I know better. And Jack was like, you know, you you think that this world is just this one place, and but there's so much more that we don't even know about. Yeah, and you, and but they change it to be almost like a conversation between. But I mean, both those characters, between not them and the, com- and the baker... Yeah.
1: Not even a conversation. It becomes, like, story time. And they do that weird mm-hmm. little, like, flashback moment. And it's like, okay... And, and it's not even... I should say, it's not the fact that they did that. It's the inconsistency. Because in I Know Things Now, she goes through exactly what happened to her. And it's like, well, we know what happened to her. She got eaten. So, right. like, why don't you just do it, like, the stage where she tells it. But also, with Jack, he just tells it to him while he's climbing a tree, but you don't really get mm-hmm. to see what he did up in the sky. Like, I'd be more interested to see how, like, Jack, he literally sings, like, everything that happens to him. That song is really storytelling. Like, I went up there, I met the giant, I met the lady, she was nice, then the other one came, and I ran away, and I got scared, and I was glad to be home. Like, they could have showed all that, Where with Little Red, it's all about what she learns, and it's not as much about what happens, because we know you got eaten by a wolf. So it could have right. been, like... Flip-flopped, but also why was he climbing a tree in telling
0: Yeah, it's like, okay, we need something visual mm-hmm. and we have all of these camera movements. We got the crane in for the day. We gotta use it. Yeah. So they just have him like, you know what? Gavroche from Lamez, go nuts on that ha! tree and just climb all over it. And <laughs> uh, and that's kind of the other thing that like that I realized like instantly that the kid playing Jack was mm-hmm. Gavroche in and Lamez. And he's great, he's a great performer and a really great singer. But one of the great things about the the stage performance is that the I like when Jack is played by an adult because it makes yeah. him seem more dopey. You're like, and it makes him I, super endearing, you mm-hmm. know, because he's yes. like,
1: he, like in the movie when he's played by a kid that young, like he doesn't seem stupid. He just seems like an adventurous little boy, and I love the mm-hmm. portrayal Tracy Ullman does of his mom because it feels. Like I feel like Jack's mom can get really, really, really shticky in the musical because she's mm-hmm. so crazy, and but like she does a really good job of just being like, oh god, this boy is going to be the death of me. But he 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 just he's acting his age, and it's perfect. But it's not right. the endearing over the the feeling you get when you watch like a twenty three year old man playing a twelve year old right. and just literally being like, oh god, he's so dumb, he's so yeah. dumb, because <laughs> that's the whole that's the point of Jack. He's so dumb
0: hmm Yeah. And especially just right off the uh, right out of the gate when, when he's like, <laughs> Milky White's my best friend, and the and his mom's like, It's a it's a girl, she... only girl cows. Can... <laughs> yeah. And no more so, than five pounds. He's like, it's
1: so dumb. You're so yeah. dumb, Jack.
0: <laughs> it it also makes more sense in the idea that if all of these um of all of the performers are adults playing younger um characters, or at least most of them are, mm-hmm. or some of them, it gives us, you know, gives you the sense of like, okay, actually, our parents are telling us these stories and and giving the sense of, yeah, that you said that, um, things are things are shitty, you know, things, uh, life is hard, and mm-hmm. when it's told to us by adults, even though they're playing, you know, younger kids, it makes it, uh, it makes it more like rich, and I, I really like that. That was a very stammered way to say that, but <laughs> it's I it, it's true, like it, you know, it makes sense. Um, so you know, we talked a lot about the first act. Let's talk about the second act real quick um, because there's there were a lot of um, interesting things in the way that they did the story. Just in general, like I feel that the the pacing of the second act is not as good or as strong as, as the first act um, until until the very end. I, like I said earlier, I think the ending is is really strong, but here it almost turns into. Um, more of an adventure than I had originally thought that it was. The main objective is like, okay, there's a giant, and mm-hmm. we gotta get rid of him. And in the in the musical, it's more about, like, the personal relationships the with the characters. Learn, yes, exactly. And I do think that they nail that in a way, with um, no one is alone um, because of just. I mean, th- that just also comes with how powerful that song is. Mm-hmm. But the way that they do it is kind of weird because of just the, the context of the scene where Red is saying something like um, something about her her grandma, and then Cinderella starts singing. And Then the Baker and Jack are together, and the Baker's just like, um, "Oh yeah, your mom uh, didn't. Your mom didn't make it. The steward." The steward pushed her and she died. Which also,
1: she's supposed to be a group. Like, he's supposed to bam, she's dead. Like, it's not like Mm -hmm. a, oh, tell Jack. No, she's boom, dead. Like, it's it's not cute.
0: It's hard to swallow. Yeah. And the movie (laughs) actually, I forgot that he, I forgot that she died because, like, he, the steward just, like, pushes her right and then she right. falls over and is leaning on a tree stump and it's like oh and you're like, like oh what? she's dead now
1: <laughs> and like if for mm-hmm. people who know the musical you're like oh now she's dead but then she's not dead and they start talking mm-hmm. to her and then it's like wait did she actually die or not and so i literally was like oh she actually didn't die that was the disney thing that they didn't want to make it too depressing or right. whatever and then he was like your mom didn't make it and i was like hello then you should have mm-hmm. just showed the steward absolutely bludgeoning her because that's the point is that once things get scary for humans, they tend to turn on each other.
0: Yeah, which leads to some great comedic um, moments in the stage play when they literally feed the narrator to the giant, which is so funny. And you can't do that. That doesn't work on film. Like, I get that. I don't think that could work really well on film. But if you're not going to do that, take the narrator out of the movie entirely. I don't want to hear... I don't think it works in general, but having it be James Corden's voice when he is already in the movie and he's narrating something that he is doing is very weird. It didn't it didn't really work I mean, for me. I didn't
1: I didn't mind I mean it's the narrator is like such a staple of some of the music in the scenes where it's like I understand that they had to keep that in and I kind of liked the fact that it was James Corden just for the fact that at the end he is telling the story to his son but also if that's the way that you're going to end it I would so much rather you have children will listen and all of this stuff happen like a big gorgeous finish with Meryl Streep just like like belting her face off children will listen everybody's together and then he goes once upon a time and then you hear dun dun and it just starts over again and fades out that would be so much like more useful to me because I feel like it was kind of a half-assed attempt at both mm-hmm. I don't
0: know I don't know I no I agree it's like they there's a lot of loose ends, yeah in, in in that aspect of it for sure. um and and also, like you said, the way that they handle um, the baker's wife being with Cinderella's prince just feels it's so much funnier in the stage musical. I mean, it's not necessarily uh, forward in being a humorous scene. It's almost just like a, wait a minute. what is going on? And then you're like, oh this again highlights the mistakes and the um like the choices that people made yeah and the but the problem with the movie I felt is that it was such a switch musically because the so Cinderella's prince is there and they're singing about it and then he leaves and then she's like oh I understand all of this now and it happened like just so quickly quickly and then the baker's wife dies in a really dumb way and she (laughs) just like was hanging onto a branch and then she wasn't anymore and then she's off screen it's like wait a minute did she fall did she get taken like it was it was very it it was it didn't really make sense i think
1: i mean i think honestly the fact i think the whole second half of the show i mean sondheim does this thing with a lot of his shows I mean, a lot of his shows. I'm just going to say he does this. It's the same with Sunday in the Park with George. But where the second act kind of turns you on your head and you're not expecting it to take the turn it does and you're kind of thwarted. And I think because the world changed so much during your 15 minute bathroom break, you're kind of like, whoa, I'm a little jarred now. And I don't know if I'm as invested now because it's not the same thing that I was rooting for at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's also just, like, so dark in the musical, the second half, that it's like Disney. If you were going to do an adaptation, why did you even bother to do the second half of it? Because you can't do it the dark, dark justice it deserves in a movie, like, adaptation. Like, I could feel they were getting really cinematic with the second half. You can even hear, like, they start underscoring the giant stuff, and I'm like, oh, this is the first time we're hearing music that's, like, really just, like, lush cinematic underscoring and not supposed to be sung to or anything. And it, it just like felt I didn't feel like it quite knew what it was supposed to be, just because it's like, is this a kids movie?
0: Is it not? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It almost felt like at times they were like, "Oh wait, this is also still a movie, and it has yeah. to be a movie, and too. yeah." And I feel
1: like that's when they decided it was like a movie. And I'm like, "Well, you're who are you making this for? Who is your audience?" Because I even like read reviews, like, like if you go on Flickster, like critics loved it, but audiences did not like it. And mm-hmm. it's because like who were you making this for? Were you making this for Disney kids and their families? Or were you making this for theater buffs? Because if you're making it for theater buffs, we would much prefer something that's along the lines of the original Broadway production, just really like dark and cinematic and not like fairy tale,
0: magic, wonder, creaturey, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Who's there well, I think i I got the impression that it was definitely more the Disney kid version because it comes out around Christmas time. 2014 was a big year for movies, especially obviously around Christmas time. It's a musical. It's got a lot of recognizable people and even just, you know, having people like uh, Anna Kendrick and James Corden who have you know, a lot of a lot of credit with that mm-hmm. demographic then they're going to get the the lower um, audience age range in to see it and just from so just from the marketing perspective, I think they were going for that. But especially in the first half, you see like they are at times trying to be as authentic to the the the, the fact that they literally just start the movie with Once Upon a Time and mm-hmm. then into I Wish is exactly how they do it on stage. Right. And that was like this is this feels authentic. Like that there's a it's a little it's a little interesting how they how it transfers over, but it works, you know? And I felt like, okay, maybe this is going to be a little bit more of a, of a more faithful adaptation than just we have to do another movie musical. Oh, why don't we do into the woods? That's got fairy tales and like recognizable Mm -hmm. characters, right? People love that. Like, that's not really what we're, (laughs) what you should go for.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of that can be attributed to the fact that it was directed by Rob Marshall, who's a big Broadway director. Like he does both film and movie and for film, he does the musicals, like he does a lot of those musicals. So I think the fact that it was directed by somebody who has probably such a personal relationship to the musical was how come it did really, I mean, like we can say as much as we want about how it diverged and whatever, but it really is very true to the musical for the most part, other than what they had to cut. And I think mm-hmm. that made a lot of what critics liked about it and what musical people liked about it is because it is really truly an ad. It's like pretty cut and paste. They didn't really like add a lot, but they did take a lot out just for timing. So I think right. I think it was just like, how do we adapt this musical in a way that the people who know it will love it, and also we can show it to kids. It's Disney. They want to make money.
0: Right. Yeah, and, and most of my issues with it are lie in stylistic choices, um, and or my issues with the musical. But like I said, my issues with the musical have... Like kind of uh, turned around ever since I've uh, seen it more times and watching the movie and realizing like, oh, okay, this is actually what connects to the first act and how it's just, it really just the pacing of it is weird for the second half and the way that they chose to show how they chose to film certain scenes uh, just weren't as They didn't feel as I don't want to say authentic, but weren't as impactful as they as they feel they could have been. So, but uh, other than that, it does. You are right. Like it does get the emotion and the um the message and the premise of the show pretty much to a T. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I think it all just comes down to, to the fact that while they want to keep it true for all the theater fans. The, the things that they have to keep true are the things from the stage and it was for stage which is probably just why it doesn't translate as well in film and why i think lame is does translate as well is because while it was for the stage it's it's a, a hyper realistic musical there's nothing that's not like unrealistic about it
0: why don't we finish this off and move into analyze this We've already talked a lot about the themes mm-hmm. and uh, what this musical represents. And the, the, the one thing that has always stuck out to me about the show is the, the sacrifices that people make uh, to ch- try and achieve the happily ever after ending that they... Have you know come accustomed to, and we especially the audience were like, we want that happy ending is because of the setting, and we we want our characters to succeed and get what they want, and at the end of the first act they do, and then it all like you said, it all turns on its head in the second act, and then you're like, wait, oh, this is wow, I'm actually like a little bit more. It's it's very heavy. It has like a heavy, heavy,
1: absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, well, I think what's so amazing about this is that they took. Grimm's fairy tales and they really they didn't do like the Disney fairy tales they took the Grimm's fairy tales they show you the stepsisters cutting off their toes they show mm-hmm. you um, Rapunzel getting blinded and all of that like nonsense like it's dark and but that was why they were written that way is because there's a lot of stories to learn from that and I think what's so amazing is that by putting all of these fairy tale characters together you can kind of see those stories happen but the amazing really cool thing is that you get these two brand two brand new characters the baker and the baker's wife who are not from famous fairy tales and they are just supposed to be human beings and you see like all of these different characters kind of being archetypes like you see Cinderella being the girl who's willing to like literally I think of it as the aerial character the girl who's willing to give up anything to go after the guy or like portray herself as not real you've got jack who is just looking for a better life he's just itching for some kind of financial security something safe but and then it's not until afterwards that he realizes he has his own whole world to explore you've got little red who's a a girl faced with predators which grossly enough is still relevant today Mm -hmm. and you just like you see how these two humans the baker and the baker's wife navigate all that specifically the baker because even the baker's wife is going on her own little journey, which is really fascinating to see like what a woman can feel like when she gets that special attention placed on her. Right. It's just there's just so many lessons to learn. It's so cool.
0: Yeah, and I I also really love in terms of Cinderella's storyline, and it's supposed to be kind of funny how she runs away from the castle like mm-hmm. three times. But you think about that, it's it's on a much higher scale because it's royalty and it's Cinderella, but She's so conflicted about what she's doing and is this the right guy for me? Is this the right life that I want to choose? And obviously we said that for her on the Steps of the Palace, but that, that, that feels kind of authentic and feels real that she would, oh, I actually do want this. Oh, this is too much. Maybe not. No, it is. No, absolutely not. And go back and forth between... Because that is a big decision. And in big decisions like that, it's... Very normal to feel conflicted and see both sides. Like this could be wonderful. This could also be a really big mistake, and uh, and also just how everything comes together with no one is alone after all of this. Just a giant has ripped through the town, <laughs> and uh, people, have, people go through a lot of stuff in this movie. Like yeah. more than I had than I had remembered. But you have to remember also, and this is kind of the uh the more relevant. Idea is that you know no one is alone. We are all in this together. We're gonna work work it out. We're gonna figure. Um, we're gonna solve our problems together. And you know, in this way, in this world of this pandemic right now, that is something that can speak volumes. In that you may be going through something absolutely awful right now, but we all are doing that to some degree. And not to diminish your feelings, but it's we are there for each other. And Absolutely. we're going to figure it out. Whatever happens, we'll figure it out.
1: Totally. And I think that all comes down to like the title. And I think it's something that you can kind of brush off and not totally forget about because of all the shit that happens in the story. But it is all about what happens in the woods. The woods are all about the dark and the, the uncomfortable parts of our life and how you can stay at the in your miserable miserable life like Cinderella like she could just keep living that life but she didn't want to she had to go into the woods to get what she wants the baker and his wife had to go into the woods to get what they want everybody has to go into the woods to get what they want it's this dark uncomfortable place but when you come out you're going to be in a totally different place literally literally you're going to be in a different mental place you're going to be a whole, you've learned so many new lessons and i think that's the part of why the second act is so uncomfortable is i think now he's forcing you to go into the woods and really be like, that is where the change happens. It's always that yoga thing that I think of, where it's like, can you sit in the uncomfortable? And I think a lot of us during this pandemic are forced to sit in the uncomfortable and kind of face what actually we should be changing about ourselves, or what we need to change, what we want to
0: change, and all the lessons that we'll learn as we're going through the woods. So well said. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, let's let's finish it out and answer the big question. Um, How does this show or movie add to our love of the respected mediums Uh, i kind of want to answer it more in terms of theater uh but you can take it any however which way you want how does into the woods for you add to your love of theater or um or film what is what is in this musical that you're like this is why i love um i love art and and theater and film
1: well i think what i love so much about the show is the fact that it's it's something that people already kind of know it's something that they're interested in but it's a completely brand new piece of art like Sondheim is literally giving these well-known characters their own like human thoughts and what people during the time when it was released would be going through in their heads and he created this sound that became so iconic and it really is just like one of those great art forms where you get to see like the changes that people will go through. And I think it's so important that we keep having musicals and art like that because it's getting so spectacleized now. And it's all about kind of how your senses can be stimulated and not really what feeds your brain. But with this musical and what I find with a lot of sometimes musicals is you can just, exp- it's so deep. You can just explore it. This show can be put on so many times and you'll always find something new about it. And that's what I just think is so special about, musical theater is like it's you're always going to get a new form it's one core piece of art but like that's just the nucleus and all of the rest of the cell is the production and all the different ways you can take it and i think the movie showed that yes you can adapt that in a certain way and like Mm -hmm. it's still always going to give you something from it and i think as long as we have new musicals and new art like into the woods we'll constantly be questioning ourselves and what we do and the decisions we make, and what we want out of life, and you don't really get that when you go see like Frozen on Broadway, <laughs> which is closed. So I should be respectful. Yeah. I, shouldn't say, <laughs> I shouldn't say Frozen. They just closed, and it's really sad. But like, like, um, like Spider Man, turn off the dark. That's a yeah, good one. Yeah. Like, like, mm-hmm. uh, we, we can get that from a movie or like the circus. <laughs> Give
0: me something that's gonna make me like
1: mouth water in the theater with like, yeah. intellect.
0: You know, it's yeah, so smart, absolutely, and that's one thing I do love about it too is that there are so many different things that you can find in revisiting it, and I love when a, when a movie or um, really any any art form can do that and make me go back and and also see it from a different perspective when you're you know when you're one age and then when you're another age, um, and I, I love when uh, I love just the idea of this show that it's taking certain characters that have not been together in a singular work before but we mm-hmm. know from individual works come together because they can all yeah. be um they can all admit like a certain message like they're all grim fairy tales in certain um it, it, well like seeing jack and the beanstalk and the big bad wolf and little oh, totally. red riding hood all in one movie it's like- is like
1: cool It's like that question. It's like, if you could have dinner with five people from history, who would it be? It's like, Mm -hmm. what happens when they all interact with each other? And I think that is another great lesson that I did not even thought about, is think about all of the things that we learn just from the people we interact with. Like, there's so many cross lessons going between all of the characters that you didn't get when you just got their single story by themselves. Yeah,
0: absolutely. No one is alone. Yeah. And and also just the that goes along with the other thing is just in movies or I think theater does this a little bit more um, successfully sometimes, but whenever a movie can take five different storylines and balance them in such a way that even though they have different aspects to them, they are still. Um, Giving us pieces to the puzzle to put together to figure out the message and the overall mm-hmm. takeaway, and, and it all has to do with how they're balanced. And for the most part, like the stories in Into the Woods are balanced. The only one that I think is a little out of balance is um, is Rapunzel's story. It kind of gets pushed to the sideline a little bit, yeah. um, but overall, like you can follow where everyone's going and how everyone interacts with one another because of the speed of the show itself. And that, that again, that has to do with just how uh, eccentric and just lovable the characters are when they interact with one another. And again, they're representations of modern problems and human issues that we all. That though we're watching something that is about that is has mysticism to it and fantasy, you're like, oh, uh, I've been there. Like I've been yeah. in that position, and I've I've been in Cinderella's shoes where I'm like. I want, this is so enticing, but I don't know if I actually want it right now. And I, I, I love totally that. I love when any piece of work can, can do that. And I, I, I love into the woods. <laughs> it's, it. it's just such a great love show. It. Uh, I think that just about does it. Did you have any other final thoughts before we sign off? I don't think so. Oh, the one thing I wish they did is that, uh, <laughs> that my favorite line in the show comes after the, uh, the the giant first strikes and there's like the earthquake, and Cinderella's prince just comes on and goes, "What was that noise?" <laughs> <laughs> they're just so <laughs> ridiculous. There yeah. could have been more
1: princes. Where was my agony reprise? That is like yeah. like <laughs> such an important part in the show because it gives agony like its whole purpose. You're like, I don't care that they're not happy, but you're like, oh okay, now I see why they're not happy. Or pathetic. Also, one last quick, 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 quick thing is um. With the Rapunzel storyline, like she gets kind of brushed aside, I think, because it's all about the witch's importance and like what, like that, what, what Rapunzel means to the witch, kind of. And one thing yeah. that I was really sad is they wrote a brand new song for Meryl called "She'll Be Back," that mm-hmm. they ended up cutting from the film, and it was like bummer. Like we would have. it. Yeah. I watched it um, after I watched the movie today because I'd never seen it or heard it before, and it, it was cute. I don't know how much mm-hmm. it added, but I liked it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I definitely think that the Rapunzel storyline like gets its importance from the fact that it, the focus of it is with Meryl Streep and uh, her own inner tor- turmoil and her relationship Man. with her daughter. But it it still feels if the focus then shifts for a while totally. to other stories, but it's still still great stuff.
1: Of course, of course. Yeah. Thank you so much, Alex. Thanks for having me. This was so fun. I've been so busy. I just didn't know how I would cram you in with all my (laughs) busy, busy, busy time.
0: Oh, (laughs) Thanks for cramming
1: us in. Of course. It was my honor.
0: (laughs) That does it for this episode of Frankly I Love Movies. Huge thank you to our special guest, Alex, for coming back on the show. Frankly I Love Movies is a part of the Orion Valley Productions Podcast Network where you can go listen to Ravnica Avengers, our very own Real Play D&D podcast. Their second season is bonkers right now with a new episode out this Thursday, August 13th, available wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can check us out on Facebook at Frankly I Love Movies, on Twitter at Frankly Podcast, and you can follow me on Instagram at joshvaljosh21 for more exciting updates on what's going on in my life. And finally, in two weeks, come back to listen to my former film theory professor, Steve Tropiano, call in all the way from Los Angeles to talk about the musical that changed my life. It's Grease. Until then, I'm Josh Wall. And frankly, I love movies.